Jesus tells a story about a man of great wealth who had a manager, somebody who ran his finances for him, took care of all the ins and outs and all the little details that the, the man had no time for while he was off doing his business. And word got back to this master, to the wealthy man, that his manager had been less than honest with his finances and that he had been doing dishonest things with the master's money. And so the master calls the man forward and he says, hey, turns out some people are talking and I hear that you're not doing good things with my money. So I'm not going to be needing your services anymore. And the dishonest manager got a little nervous because he started thinking and thought, man, if I don't have this job, I'm eventually not going to have any money. And what am I going to do when my money runs out because I am far too proud a man to beg but I'm also not the kind of guy who likes to put in a hard day's work, and so I'm not really sure what I'm going to do now that I can't manage this money. And then he thinks, and he thinks, and he goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the people that are in debt to my master, and I'm going to get myself in good with them so that when my money runs out, they're going to owe me a favor. And they're going to really like me because I've done something good for them. And then when I'm out of money, they'll take me into their homes and they'll care for me. And so he goes and he finds someone. And he says, hey, John, remind me again how much you owe our master. And John says, well, if I remember right, I think I owe him about 100 measures of oil. And the manager says, oh, man, that's a lot. That's a lot of oil. And you know, John, we've had a good relationship, and we've always seen eye to eye. I think we've always worked really well together. And so I'll tell you what I'm going to do, John. I'm going to make you the deal of a lifetime. If you can go and write a note right now for 50 measures of oil, you give that to me, and we'll call it even. And John says, oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to do that. And he writes it down, and the dishonest manager goes away. And then he looks for somebody else. He says, oh, who else can I find? And he goes and he finds another person who is indebted to the master. He says, hey, Cindy. Cindy, we've always been friends. And I know you owe, some, I know you owe something to our master. How much do you owe? And, and this other servant says, well, I, I think I owe something like 100 measures of wheat. He says, oh, man, that's a lot of wheat. <laughs> Tell you what, Cindy, I've always thought you were fine, upstanding lady. I think we've always had a really good relationship. I'm going to cut you a deal. I want to make this easy on you. And so if you can go right now and just write a note for 80 measures of wheat, then we'll call it even Stephen, and I'll be on my way, and you'll be good to go. And the servant says, oh, that sounds great, and cuts the note and hands it to him. And then this dishonest manager takes the, the smaller debt paid, but he takes the debt paid and brings it back to the master. And Jesus says the master commends him for his shrewdness for being able to think ahead and to take care of himself. And Jesus told this story to his disciples to teach them something that he makes very clear. He says, I tell you, the children of this world, the children of this age, are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. He said, I'm telling this to you because everybody around you, all the people of this world, are far better at dealing with one another and also dealing with these temporal finite things like money and finances than you are, than the people who are part of the kingdom of God. And there's a reason for this. 
And as we've looked through the book of Luke, we've seen how one of the things that can happen to people as we try to follow Jesus is we can be so temporally focused. We can be so focused on the things that are happening here and now that we lose eternal perspective. And we allow our situations and our circumstances to take our eyes off of the the goal, which is following Jesus. But there's also the opposite side of that coin, which has just as devastating effects. Sometimes we can be so eternally focused that we forget that what happens right here and right now really matters. We can start to think that the only thing of importance is what happens after we breathe our last or after Christ returns to make everything right and everything new. And we forget that God has put us in this world for a reason. That matter matters to God. That what happens here and now matters to God. That how we live our lives and the things that we do on a day-to-day basis not only have an impact now, but those temporal things can have echoes throughout eternity. And one of those things that can feel very small and very temporal, but also has a huge impact and effect on our lives, is money. And while it's a thing that is difficult to talk about and awkward to talk about and sometimes even awkward to think about, it's something that Jesus spent a lot of time teaching about and a lot of time emphasizing. Because we can either make money ultimate, as we're going to see, Or we can also consider it just one of these passing things that has no purpose and no impact and not think at all about how we use it. And so this morning, through this parable that Jesus teaches and also two encounters that Jesus has, one with a young man and one with an older woman, we're going to see Jesus teach us about the economics of the kingdom and how kingdom-minded people, how followers of Jesus can use the earthly things that we have and our monetary wealth and the money and finances that we have to make an impact on the kingdom of God and for all eternity. And so we're going to kind of cover a lot of ground here, but I want to stay rooted in one passage. And so read with me, if you will, from Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 13. This morning, while I normally preach out of the English Standard Version, I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible because I think it, it helps with its language to understand what Jesus is saying here a little better. And this is God's Word. It says, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is righteous in very little is also unrighteous and much. So if you who have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and praise you so much for your grace and your mercy. And God, we thank you that every little aspect of our lives matters to you that you care about the little things that make us up, but also, God, that you have a plan for all that we have and all that we are. And so, God, as we talk about something this morning that feels like it has so much power, remind us that you are our one and only God, but also that when it comes to money, when it comes to our finances, that you have a design and a plan for how we use those things for your glory, for our good, and also, God, for the good of those around us as you call us to be faithful and generous 
with the gifts that you've given us. And so God, speak to us through your word. Help us to see the eternal and the temporal and to learn to trust you with all we have. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. There are a couple other stories that happen inside the book of Luke that teach us something about how we should understand finances, how we should understand money through the eyes of God and as members of the kingdom of God. There was one time that Jesus was teaching, and a young man comes up to Jesus, someone that's described by Scripture as a rich, young ruler. And so this guy has money, he has his health, he has his youth, and he also is in some sort of place of prestige and power. And the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, tell me what I need to do to have eternal life. That's a good question, right? He's clearly a smart guy, too. And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. But if you want eternal life, then here's something you can do. Why don't you start with following the commandments? Why don't you start with taking the things that God has called you to do and do those things? Why don't you start with don't commit adultery and don't murder and don't steal or bear false witness? Why don't you start with honoring your father and mother? And the rich young ruler says, guess what? I do those things. I do all of those things. I I haven't committed adultery. I don't cheat. I don't lie. I don't steal. I honor my parents. I live out and follow the commandments really well. And Jesus says, wow, that is incredible, man. That is so good. There's just one more thing that it seems like you're lacking. He says, why don't you take all that you have, no big deal, sell it, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. And the young man lowers his head and walks away sad because he knows that he couldn't do that. And Scripture teaches us that 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 scenario made Jesus sad as well. And he said, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard asked this and said, then who can be saved? And then Jesus offers this beautiful picture of hope by saying, what is impossible with man is possible with God. A couple chapters later. Jesus is in the synagogue during a time of worship. And people are coming and they're dropping their offering in the box. And people come one after the other and they drop their normal gifts in the box and they walk on. And then an older woman, a widow, comes to the box. And we've talked about this before as we've gone through the book of Luke. But the widows, along with orphans during this time, were the most vulnerable and the most preyed upon people in all of society. They often found themselves at the bottom of the socioeconomic totem pole and often needed to be cared for. And this widow, who had very little of her own, took two coins that were basically worthless and drops them in the box. And Jesus turns and he says, guys, listen. This woman with these two coins that she just drops in this box, she's given more than everybody else that was in here giving today. You see, everybody else, they gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had to live on. And he told his disciples that when it comes to the kingdom of God, what she put in that box that day had more power and had more weight than anything else that had been given. And so when we look at these three stories, 
When we look at the parable that Jesus teaches, when we look at these two interactions that Jesus had that seem to center around the idea of money, what do we learn now as 21st century readers of these things about how followers of Jesus view and deal with money? Well, the first thing is that we have to understand that money is a poor master. Money is a poor master. And when I say master, a master is anything in our lives in which we place the whole of our trust when things fall apart. Because we can like a lot of things, we can feel passionate about a lot of things, but if you really want to know the thing that drives your life and the thing that controls your life, think about what happens when you just have one of those days where everything falls apart. What's the thing that you rely on the most? For the rich young ruler, he clearly saw the importance and the beauty of following after God. He had excitement when Jesus said, you need to follow the commandments because he knew those are things that I do. He found value in following the commandments of God. He thought his religious devotion to God was a very important and probably a very crucial part of his life because he says, I've been doing these things since my youth. They had been a constant in his life. But when push comes to shove, he shows us where his hope really found its source. Because when Jesus says, okay, if you want this eternal life, if that's what you're really after, then all you have to do is shed yourself of this stuff that you've got and come and follow me and you'll be fine. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. Because ultimately, while he valued Jesus and while he valued the law, he valued his money more. And this illustrates what Jesus teaches us in chapter 16, verse 13. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And now it's important to note here that Jesus doesn't say you cannot have money and serve God. That there's not a line here that only people of of no wealth can enter into the kingdom of God. It's not one or the other thing when it comes to having money and serving God. Jesus says very clearly you cannot serve money and serve God. That these two things are going to compete against one another. That one of these things has to be ultimate and has to be the guiding force of your life. And so while the rich young ruler could have all of the things together, he was really excited about all of them. But when it came to a point where he had to choose one, we find out that you really can't serve two masters, and he was unwilling to walk away from one to gain the other. That's why we're told in the Ten Commandments that you shall have no other gods before me. Because we can't serve multiple gods. We can't serve multiple masters. At some point in time, one will have to fall away and one will have to stand strong. We see this in Psalms chapter 121. The psalmist writes, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming forth from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist says, if I'm going to have a place in which my hope will rest, 
If I'm going to have a place that is ultimate, if I'm going to have a place that I trust beyond anything else, I want that to be in God because God will never fade away. God never goes to sleep. God never diminishes. God never gets smaller. God is always present with his people. And so if I'm going to trust in someone, I want it to be in God. And Jesus extended that offer to the rich young ruler saying, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me and I will give you something better. And the rich young ruler said, I just don't really believe that's true. And he chose something temporal over something eternal. And we all have to make that choice. And this isn't just something that that is a, a choice that people with great wealth have to make. Because whether we have much or whether we have very little, it's hard not to see money as ultimate because that's how we get food. That's how we have shelter. That's how we sustain ourselves. And so all of us have to make that choice. We have to ask ourselves the question, where does my hope and my peace and my identity come from? And for the rich young ruler, that answer was clear. He followed God where it was easy, but he clung to his true master when it wasn't. And this illustrates this thing that happens in 1690. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. And that line there in the middle, he says, so when it fails, because Jesus knew as this rich young man walked away that he was putting his hope and his trust in something that one day was surely going to fail. Even though this man had enough to make himself in a place of power and authority, even though he had enough to sustain him probably for generations, that one day that money was going to be of no value, whether he lost it all or he breathed his last breath and the money had no value to him anymore and it's divided up among other people. One way or another, Jesus knew that money was a poor master because it was temporal and was going to fade away. And so he tells us here in this passage, when he speaks to his disciples, to stop chasing a God that will always fail and never satisfy. And put your hope and trust in the God who never leaves or forsakes his children, the God who has riches unimaginable and who loves his children and cares for them. And so we're taught that money is a poor master. We're also taught that material wealth does not equal greatness in the kingdom of God. In Psalms chapter 50, God is speaking one of these harsh things to the people. And he says, hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that move in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And so God is saying, listen, these sacrifices that you're offering me time and time again that you think are somehow earning my favor, that's not what I'm requiring of you. Do you just think I'm hungry? Do you think I need what you're bringing to the table here? Because I don't. All the birds of the sky and all the animals of the field, they belong to me. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And so you're not bringing me anything I don't have when you offer a bull to me. But he says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. He says, your real sacrifice is your thanksgiving. 
your real sacrifices, your obedience as you follow after me, and even your cries for help when you're in need, those are the things that I want from you. Those are the things that I require of you. And God makes it very clear here that he is not looking for a handout, that that's not what he needs from us. And it would be easy to take these two stories, and if we put them side by side like a tale of the tape for boxers, And if we put the rich young ruler on one side and the widow on the other side, it would be easy to say, on one hand, you have this rich young ruler, and if he came to the kingdom of God, he would bring something to the table. He would be able to help financially with the kingdom of God. He probably comes in with political authority and clout. He's somebody that we need on our team. But then as we look at the widow, we could say, and she, we want her to be here too because the kingdom is for all people. But this widow is someone who would come who she needs the kingdom. She needs the kingdom to care for her and to love her. When in reality, the rich young ruler certainly would have brought something to the table because all people who come to the kingdom of God do. But he needs the kingdom of God more than the kingdom of God needs him. He needs Jesus more than Jesus needs him. And the same is true for the widow. As she comes, she needs Jesus more than Jesus needs her, but that doesn't mean she's not without value. And as she comes into the kingdom and she drops her coins in the plate, Jesus says, this has more weight than anything else that was given today because she offered a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. The kingdom of God is made up of all kinds of people with all different kinds of gifts coming from all different places. And what we have to offer God is only what we have because God has given it to us. And there's a destructive force when it comes to comparison in the life of the church and starting to measure ourselves based on wealth or how much we're able to do or how much we're able to contribute to the church or to the kingdom of God. But we have to remember that Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And that he is a God of infinite wealth that owns the entire universe. And in fact, it sits in the palm of his hand. And so if we think, whether we come to the table with much or with little, that that somehow impresses or disappoints God, then we're not seeing the kingdom the right way. And the kingdom of God teaches us a new way to see value that anyone who comes, anyone who follows after Jesus has been gifted and equipped. And any time that we use whatever we have for the glory of God, he is going to take it and bless it and use it in an incredible way. And so our calling here is that if you have much, use it well. And if you have very little, use it well. And trust God to take what we have and to use it beyond our means, not finding our worth in our wealth, but finding our wealth in what God has given us and using it faithfully to honor and glorify him and for the good of those around us. Jesus also teaches us that members of the kingdom of heaven, that followers of Christ, that Christians should be wise with the way that we use our money. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before, It may have happened to me on an occasion or two. But if you've ever borrowed some from someone or used something of someone, especially if it had some value, and then either, I don't know, lost it or broken it, it's a horrible feeling. Just It just makes me feel like just the worst kind of person. And I hate having those conversations where I have to call a friend or go to someone and say, hey, that thing that you entrusted with me, me with, And I'm never going to know where it is 
because I lost it, like the real kind of lost it, and it's never coming back, and I'm so sorry, and I'll replace it, and I'll fix it, and I'll take care of it, but I still, I am just a worm under your feet, and I'm so sorry, and I'm just, I know, I understand you might never want to be friends with me again, but that's just what happens. It's a terrible feeling to mismanage something that belongs to someone else. As Jesus teaches this parable about the dishonest manager, he's reminding us all of a very important truth. That every one of us, whether we have just a little bit, materially speaking, or a lot, none of us own anything. Nothing belongs to us. As members of the kingdom of God, but really just people in general, the Bible teaches us that we are just managers of everything that we have. That we are called to be stewards of it. That even the things that have our names on it, houses and cars and all the stuff inside of our homes and all the things that we consider our possessions, these are not things that belong to us, but these are in fact things that belong to God that he allows us to be good managers of. And in verse 10 through 12, that's exactly what Jesus teaches us. He says, whoever is faithful in little is also faithful in much. Who is ever unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. He says, so if you've been unfaithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And then in verse 12, he puts it all in perspective, saying, and if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? God has entrusted each of us to be wise, faithful managers with what we have. He's saying, I'm going to give you this, whatever the amount is, whatever your portion is. He says, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to allow you to use this for your life, and I want you to take it, and I want you to put it to good use, and then one day you're going to stand before me, and you're going to have to give an account for how you used your money, for how you used your stuff, for how you used the things that I've entrusted you with, your spiritual gifts, and everything in between. And then... We see in all these parables, there's that moment where he looks and he sees what we've done and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he calls in those who have been faithful, what they've been given, and he gives them more. And he gives them something that belongs to them. And that's our promise that we have, that one day when we enter into our rest, when we go to be with Jesus forever, then we are going to be given an inheritance that has been preserved for us by God and given to us specifically and designed for us. But we have to be faithful with the little things that we have in the here and now until then. And when it comes to finances, when it comes to money, to be good managers of that that God has given us, it goes beyond budgeting and wise purchases, although that's certainly part of it. We need to be wise with the way that we spend our money. We need to be wise with the way that we deal with our finances. But it also means that we have to learn to see our money as it truly is, that it's God's money. And that because of that, we have to use it in a way that honors God and in a kingdom-focused way. And so that means for members of the kingdom of God to be wise with our money, that means that followers of Jesus have to be generous with their money. The rich young ruler was a man who managed his life well. He had money, he had power, he had his youth and his health, he had everything that you could imagine. Not only that, but he dotted all his I's and crossed all his T's when it came to following after the law. He was the picture of this amazing, religious, self-made man. 
He's the kind of guy that, that would probably be in the front of a church service. He's the kind of guy that you might run for political office and all those kind of things. He checked all the boxes of what we think it should look like to have your stuff together. But the kingdom calls us to go deeper. And Jesus looked at a man that everyone else around would have said, he's got it all. He handles his money well. He handles his life well. He handles his religious life well. Check, check, check. He is knocking it out of the park. And Jesus says, you got a lot of checks here, but there's still one thing that you lack. And it was generosity. And so for this man, he says, listen, just take all this stuff and get rid of it and come follow me and I have something better for you. But he couldn't do it. The Bible teaches us that we serve a generous God. We see that nowhere more plainly than in John 3.16 when it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And we see passages all through the Bible that God loves his children and that he lavishes good gifts on them and that this God who has riches untold uses that power and that might and that wealth of his grace and mercy and he pours it on his children so that we have what we need and that we can go out and do what we're called to do. We see time and time again that God is far more generous with us than we could ever deserve. And so we can't take those good gifts that God has given us whether we think they're great or whether we think they're small, and hoard them away for our own uses solely. In chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, you may welcome you into eternal dwellings. When we look at that parable of the manager, his idea was, I don't have anything on my own. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to do something kind on behalf of other people so that whenever I'm at my bottom, they'll welcome me into their home. And Jesus is saying now on a much more spiritual level, that's what you should be doing. You should take these gifts that God has given. You should take this stuff that God has entrusted you with and these finances that you have, and you should use them for the good of others. You should be generous with what God has given you so that you can make an eternal impact, not just a temporal And that one day when you stand before God and you have used what you've been given well and you've been generous with what you've had, God is going to say, look at all that you've done. And you're going to be able to see the eternal ripple effect that's happened because of your faithfulness. And God is going to welcome you into his kingdom and you are going to have eternal rewards from your temporary generosity. It is crucial That inside the body of Christ, inside the church, that we are generous with one another and with those that God has placed in our lives. Last week we looked at how forgiveness is this thing that holds the body of Christ together. That when conflict happens or sins are taken against one another, that it's forgiveness that brings us back together. And if forgiveness is that ligament that holds the bones of Christ together, then when it looks at generosity, this this is the muscle building up. And when we're generous with one another, it strengthens each other, it encourages each other. And this has been part of the DNA of the church since the very beginning. In Acts chapter 2, it says they had all things in common. And if somebody was in need, someone else would sell something and give to them so their needs would be taken care of. And they broke bread together daily, and they were with one another, but they were also sharing with one another. And then they were going out into the community and doing the same for others. Generosity is a marker 
on the church that shows that we belong to Christ and that we belong to a generous God. And so without that, we are not living the way that we're supposed to live. We're not giving the way we're supposed to give. We're not serving the way that we're supposed to serve. And then finally, Jesus teaches us that our generosity requires sacrifice. And we usually think when it comes to generosity that the opposite of generosity would be selfishness. But I don't think that's the case in the instance of the rich young ruler. He doesn't seem to be a selfish person because he followed the commandments. And as we look through the book of Luke and see Jesus teaching about what it means to follow after him, he told us that the two greatest commandments are that we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves, and that all the law and all the prophets are wrapped up in these things. And so when we follow the Ten Commandments, we are doing exactly that. We're loving God, and we're loving people. And so as this rich young ruler was following the commandments, he clearly was doing things on behalf of others, and so he wasn't selfish in that sense. His issue wasn't selfishness, but self-preservation. His issue wasn't a lack of love, but ultimately it was a lack of trust. But the widow saw the world differently. She trusted God with quite literally everything that she had. Jesus says it was all that she had to live on. She was willing to say, God, I trust you with this more than I need it for myself. Jesus says all those other people in the room, they contributed out of their abundance. Most of them probably didn't even think about what they put in the box because it didn't have any sort of a deeper, long-lasting impact because they were just going to go on and live their lives and live with, eat their meals and go to their homes and do their things because they just gave out of their abundance. But this widow, when she gave, her generosity cost her something. She felt it. She had to think about it a little bit. Sometimes it can be easy when we talk about giving, we talk about being generous, we start to budget, we start to think kind of properly and meticulously about it, and we say, listen, I am excited about one day being generous. And I've got this plan where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, and I'm going to get to this point in life, I'm going to accomplish these things, I'm going to check these boxes, and then I'll be financially stable. And once I get to this point financially, then I'll able, be able to be generous with my money because I'll have so much of it and I'll have it all taken care of. And so once I get to this point, then I'm going to start being generous. But Jesus told us that whoever's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. And these two stories teach us exactly that. The rich young ruler had all that he needed, but when it came down to it, he wasn't willing to be generous. He wasn't willing to be sacrificial in his giving. But this woman who had been practicing clearly generosity her entire life was willing to take even the last two coins she had and put them in because she knew the importance of being faithful with all she had. And so we have to learn to give generously and sacrificially, whether we have much or little. Because just like that widow, we know that our treasure, our ultimate treasure, waits for us in heaven. And we need to learn, much like that widow, to trust in God more than we trust in our coins to the point where we can give generously and sacrificially for the glory of God and for the good of others. Our generosity should be motivated out of love and trust, 
We should be the kind of people who give faithfully and cheerfully. That's one of those important parts that goes into this as we talk about giving because it's awkward and I don't like talking about it. And that's part of the reason that we have to preach through books straight the way that we do because if not, I would just ignore this topic altogether if we're just being honest. But it's a difficult thing to talk about, but the Bible teaches that we should give generously and give cheerfully. And as we do, trust God to carry us and to provide for us as we give sacrificially out of what he has graciously given to us. And so it clearly matters to Jesus how his people use our finances, how we use our money. And whether it's on Sundays, giving to the church is the church we give together as an act of worship so that our church can go out and do the things that we're called to do, or whether it's just throughout the week as God sends people into our lives where we can share what we have and be generous with others. It's our responsibility to look at this as a a spiritual act of worship, as a way to reflect the good nature of a generous and loving God, and also an exercise of trust and a practice of our faith, knowing that one day God has something for us that's so much better than anything that we lose or give away now. And so in just a moment, when we're taking our offering, we need to do that mindfully, recognizing that what we're doing is not just putting money in a plate and passing it around, but that it is an act of worship. But it should also be something that we pray over, because again, we don't have much to offer God. Even the most wealthy of us, even if we could just put a stack of cash in the offering plate, it's not going to impress God. But what we need to be doing is no matter what we put in the plate, praying that God would take that and bless it like he did with the boys, just fish and bread and multiply it and use it in ways that we could never imagine or understand. And to be mindfully in prayer that God would use this as an act of worship and draw us closer to him. But we also need to be praying that as we leave this place today, that our giving wouldn't stop when the plate is passed around, but that we would go out and to be people who love others faithfully and use the material resources that we have, again, great or small, to be a blessing to others and to be generous, sacrificial givers so that we can reflect the generous, sacrificial giving that our God has offered to us through Jesus. Let's pray.